It was on Pentecost. It was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. That was when the church began. And that day is generally regarded as the greatest event in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the longer I live and the more I observe, the more I am convinced that for a great many sincere, honest, and earnest people, that day has little or no meaning whatsoever. Because you see, over the years, a great many people, the majority of people, have actually become mystified by the temporary things that occurred on Pentecost. Oftentimes, people focus on the passing, the temporary, and they miss the things that are essential. They miss the things that are really lasting and permanent. So, you see, there are some things that happened that day we don't really understand. Can you really explain that sound as a mush, rushing, a mushing, riding, a mu, a ru- This is on film, too. Can you really explain that sound of a rushing mighty wind? Can you really explain the cloven tongues as of fire? If you find somebody that says they can completely explain every aspect of that and they understand it fully and completely, don't buy a used car from them. Because they'll lie to you about anything. So let's don't fixate on the events of that day that we must confess we don't fully, really understand and comprehend. Instead, rather than focusing on that rushing mighty wind or the cloven tongues as a fire or the tongues where every man understood in his own language, let's focus on the things of Pentecost that we can't help but understand. Right here, right now, this very moment. Forget the fiery tongues. Forget the rushing mighty wind. Forget all of that. And let's focus instead on the change that took place in the lives of the disciples of Jesus Christ. Because you see, if we consider what the experience of Pentecost really did for the friends of Jesus, we might be better able to comprehend what the experience that day really was and what was really important that day. So you see, the question posed in Acts chapter 2 and verse 12 is quite appropriate for us this morning. What meaneth this. What did Pentecost do for the disciples of Jesus Christ? The events of Pentecost, the experience of that day, welded, molded, and cemented those early disciples of Jesus Christ into a brotherhood. 
If you read the Gospels, you'll understand something about Jesus. The purpose of Jesus in coming to this world was to build a brotherhood. That was one of His chief purposes. Think about the night that Jesus ate the Passover with His disciples. Do you remember what He told them? He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's in John chapter 13 and verse 35. You see, Jesus being able to see into the hearts of man as he could. Jesus understood something at the very outset. That by now you and I have learned in our own lives. And that is that there are two types of personalities in this world. One is made for hate. And the other is made for love. One type of personality works toward the dividing of men and of nations. The other type of personality works toward the uniting of men of nations. And Jesus also made something else quite clear. Jesus made it clear and unmistakable that everyone who helped in building this brotherhood was his friend. And conversely, he made it clear that everyone who did not help in building this brotherhood, everyone that attempted to destroy this brotherhood, was his enemy. Here's what he said. He said, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. That's in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30. Jesus' purpose was to build a brotherhood. And yet, in spite of his high ambitions, in spite of the desire that Jesus had to build a brotherhood, at the time of his death, folks, he had made very little progress. While Jesus was on this earth, Jesus gave himself wholeheartedly to building up this brotherhood. And he gathered around him a group of twelve men. And outwardly, those twelve were one person. Outwardly, they were united. But inwardly, those twelve men were anything but united. You know, it's depressing. It's actually distressing. It's heartbreaking, really. When you read the Gospels and you realize that those men went to their last meal with Jesus, spewing hot words at each other. They went to that last meal with Jesus, feuding, fussing, fretting, and fighting. That's what they were doing. And you know what they were arguing about? They were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. They were arguing over which one of them was the most important in the group. And if you remember that night at supper, it was Jesus Himself, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. It was Jesus that girded Himself, took on the form of a servant, and got a basin and washed 
the feet of those at dinner. Not one among those twelve was brotherly enough to take on the menial task of washing the other's feet. Had it not been for Pentecost, that little group of folks would have disappeared like the morning dew. But, after that experience in the upper room that night, things would change. Dr. Luke would write in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed, are you listening to it? Were of one heart and of one soul. That oneness belonged to the original group that had been friends of Jesus before His crucifixion. And into that group had been brought Orthodox Jews from the homeland. Foreign-born Jews were also brought into this fellowship. A little later, despised Samaritans and Gentiles were a part of this brotherhood. And then, men and women of different races and different nationalities, people of widely different social standing, were brought together in the bond of this common brotherhood in Jesus Christ. Those ties were so close that those once apart worshipped together. They took communion together. And not only that, they shared their material substance together. It was a spirit of brotherhood. It was a spirit of family. That was the most important characteristic of the church of the first century. To be sure, the pagan world looked upon these little colonies of Christians, these little colonies of heaven as they were referred to, with a longing wonder. And they would remark and exclaim in amazement, Oh, how those Christians love each other. And because those pagans wanted to be loved, they were drawn into these little colonies of heaven by the love that existed in this brotherhood. Are you listening? To this day, there is nothing quite as impressive as a church that's a brotherhood. And it's equally true. There is nothing that more grossly misrepresents my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ than a church torn by strife and discord. You let the membership of any church of God's people start fighting among themselves, and you know what the devil does? He takes a holiday. Because as far as that church is concerned, His work is done. Pentecost was more than a rushing wind and speaking in tongues and cloven tongues of fire. Pentecost welded the friends of Jesus Christ into a brotherhood. 
And because they were a brotherhood and because they loved the Lord and because they loved each other, those disciples became obsessed with a passion for telling other people about Jesus Christ. After Pentecost, they had an irresistible urge to share their experience with their fellow man. No sooner had the multitude of people gathered there, said, what meaneth this? Then it says Simon Peter had an answer. It says he stood up with the eleven. That's what Luke tells us. There was one spokesman. But every member of the group stood up with that spokesman. The others were standing there with Simon Peter to add their emphasis to his message. They were there to add power to his message. Their very presence, standing with Peter, was an inaudible amen to the preaching of Peter on that day. And with the backing of his fellow saints, Peter preached so powerfully that when he came to the close of that sermon, Dr. Luke says they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 3,000 people were brought into the church. 3,000 people were brought into the brotherhood that very day alone. A few days later, Peter and John are on their way to prayer meeting. And they're met there at the gates of the temple by a professional beggar. And he asks for alms. Peter and John don't have any money, but they have something else. They have a passion to share their experiences with Jesus Christ. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk, Peter told the man. Peter preached to that professional panhandler. And he preached with the same enthusiasm he had preached to that great crowd on Pentecost. And he preached enthusiastically, he preached effectively, so effectively that that afternoon at prayer meeting, there was a new face there. The beggar is changed into a giver. The negative becomes a positive. And he entered the temple with Peter and with John, walking and leaping and praising God, Dr. Luke tells us. Time passes. Peter and John have clashed with the authorities. If you've never read it, it's a great story. Peter and John are under arrest. But the authorities are at a loss as to what they can do with these men. And then one of them has a brainstorm. You know, like the cartoons, the light bulb lights up over his head. And so they call Peter and John in and they command them. They command them not to speak or teach or preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John said, yes, sir, we sure will. It's not what Dr. Luke said. Peter and John said, we can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. We've got to talk about it. And they tell them silence is an utter impossibility. They can no more stop talking about Jesus than you can keep well-watered grass from turning green. 
So they keep talking about Jesus. And they get arrested again. And this time the authorities are filled with indignation. They have been defied. And they said, we commanded you not to teach or speak at all in the name of Jesus. And you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Well, among those that had heard the message were foreign-born Jews that were visiting in Jerusalem. One of them was a brilliant young man, Stephen by name. And he became obsessed with the same passion of telling others about Jesus Christ. And Stephen was so passionate in telling others about Jesus, and he was so persuasive that they couldn't resist his logic. And being unable to resist the logic of Stephen, they resorted to stones. In fact, they drug him out of the city, mobbed him and murdered him, stoned him to death. Well, guess what? It's dangerous now. It's dangerous to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And the only way they could do it is at the risk of personal danger. So, do you think they stopped? Not a bit of it. Dr. Luke says those that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. The authorities tried their best to put out the fire that had been kindled at Pentecost. And they failed. And they didn't just sort of fail. It was a spectacular, colossal, monumental failure. Rather than put the fire out, they fanned the flames and spread the fire and scattered it. And after a time, the entire Roman world was on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The events of Pentecost gave the friends of Jesus Christ a passion for telling others the story. This was not done by preaching from the pulpit. And it did not happen because of Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or a web page. It happened because of numerous nameless people who took every opportunity to tell friends, neighbors, family, and acquaintances about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They told other people about the amazing changes that had taken place in their own lives. Because of Pentecost, they had a passion for telling others about Jesus of Nazareth. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had, right here, right now, some of that same passion that they had? Some of that same burning desire that they had?
those people in that far off day had an incredible joy and hopefulness, optimism, and courage. They were able to accomplish things that any sane person would have said was impossible. Suppose you had been standing with a friend that day and saw that little prayer meeting of 120 on the way to the upper room just prior to Pentecost. And suppose you had turned to your acquaintance and said, there goes a group of people that's going to shake up the entire city. They're going to actually shake the whole Jewish nation and the entire Roman Empire. Your friend would have laughed at you. No one would have believed it. They would have said that's a flat impossibility. But history tells us that is exactly what happened. Those 120 people on their way to prayer meeting in the upper room prior to Pentecost shook the whole Jewish nation and the entire Roman Empire. The ultimate effect of Pentecost, beloved, was a brotherly church. A church with a passion for telling others about Jesus. A church with a joyous optimism and a dauntless courage. A church with amazing power. And it came through the power of God and God alone. You cannot account for what was accomplished apart from God. These people were without any social standing. They were without wealth. They didn't have enough influence to avoid the whipping post or jail. They could not avoid the arena or the stake. But through the power of Almighty God, they turned the world upside down. Through the power of God, we can turn things upside down too. The only explanation for what happened with that little group of 120 people is they did it through the power of God. Through the power of God, folks, we can accomplish anything. Through our own power, we're absolutely useless. What does all of this mean for us? What does all of that on Pentecost mean for us? The same transforming, empowering experience of God is for you and me. It's for us. Nothing is more evident from the Scriptures than the fact that our Lord never intended for us to carry on in the energy of the flesh and in our own strength. In our failures. And I've had plenty of them. I don't know about you. But in our failures... Our Lord is saying to us, as He said in the long ago, apart from Me, you can do nothing. It is only in Him, with Him, and through Him that we can become our best 
It's in Him, through Him, and with Him. We can do our best. The experience of those early saints, folks, that's an experience that's available to us. Me, you, every one of us. They were able to accomplish great things because they had lives wholly surrendered to Jesus Christ. If we will experience the brotherness and power that they experienced, we have to surrender our stubborn will to the will of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened down? Jesus says, Come to me. I'll give you rest. That's in Matthew eleven twenty eight. You know what else Jesus said? If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. That's in John seven verse thirty seven. Here's the great question: Have we ever surrendered our will to the will of Jesus? When our will is surrendered to the will of Jesus. It's then and only then we'll experience the power they experienced on Pentecost. When we surrender our will to the will of Jesus, then is when we'll know what a brotherhood is really all about. We surrender our will by complying with the Lord's terms of pardon. When we believe in Christ with all of our heart, when we turn our back on sin through repentance and confess His name and are buried in baptism, that's the beginning of our surrender. But then it requires living a life devoted to Him. It requires not doing things in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and leaving God out of the planning. It's making Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of our lives. If you have never made a complete unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ this morning. This would be a good time to do it. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know the needs of your life. But if there are changes that you need to make, if you need to do something different to make Jesus the Lord and Master of your life, and if we can help you make those changes, this is your opportunity to come and let that desire be made known as together we stand and while we sing.